Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know. Delightful. I, someone should check on me. <laughs> I need a wellness check. <laughs> <laughs> you okay, baby? Oh, no. But here we are. Hey, everybody. It's under further review. I'm Kata. That's Mike. That's me. And uh, we are so, so, so excited about our guest today. Um, it's sports, but it's also not sports. Um, pandemics and have, have really led us to paying a lot of attention that we would normally spend on like friends and people that we see in everyday life on our pets. And so we're welcoming in a true expert, the author of a few books, but um, one of my favorites is Inside of a Dog. Um, the author and scientist, Dr. Alexandra Horowitz, New York Times bestseller, my God. And my um, absolute favorite. She's incredible and really just kind of gave in and let us pick her brain and, and make some jokes and whatnot. Um, when we spoke with her this past week, um, she's a she's just a fucking delight. I'm so honored that she considered her time... Um, she that she gave us so much of her time and and really let us kind of dive in on on our dogs because you, you know as everybody knows mike just had a litter of his own and and mm -hmm. adopted one of those dogs and i've got a rescue of my own and um we were joined by her furry friends as well so um we, we're super excited to talk to her um, pets, pets have been going through a lot this pandemic. I took Joey to the vet this week and it was kind of, it's funny cause Joey actually really likes the vet, but she didn't like that. I had to hand her off to the nurse at the clinic. And so I ended up having to like pick her up on the sidewalk and like physically hand her to the nurse because she, she did not want to go in without her mom. Um, and so that's been kind of an interesting challenge. You want to know something crazy? Sure. I met a 20-year-old dog today. Stop. 20. Stop. Two. Stop. Zero. I was walking boots, minding my own business, where we passed this nice woman and her two chihuahuas. And I could tell the chihuahuas were a little stiff when we were passing by, so I like tried to keep a little distance. And she was like, oh, thank you. Yeah, they're pretty old. And I was like, no worries. I, I, I clocked they were probably like not about boots um, and his four month old energy. And I was like, oh, so like, how old are they? And she was like, oh, this one's 13. I went, wow, super old. And she went, you thought so, but this one's 20 and a half. And I went, say that again. And she went 20. And I went, can you say the two numbers next to each other? She had two zero. And I went, so that dog can almost legally drink. And she went, yes. And I literally stared at her for a few seconds without speaking. I was like, I, is that, is there a record that you could possibly break? I I could not believe it. And the dog was just fine. Walk I asked. I was like, what's the health like? Like, how are we doing? Like, is there a lot of bills to pay? And she was like, not really. I mean, like, we have like one kind of hiccup every year, but we're not, we have insurance, so it's just fine. Uh, and I was like, wow. 20 years. I've never I cats who tend to break barriers with their age like how long they live 20 
I you guys me. can't see my jaw is literally on the floor. Like I can't, I can't fathom. You know, I I actually I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast before, but my mom recently rescued a fourteen and a half year old collie mix, um, and. I'm thinking to myself, like she, and it took her some time, her eight year old, or I guess when he was nine, when she passed away, but our family dog passed away a little over a year ago. Um, and it really, really, really wrecked my parents. And my mom had always said when, and Winnie was sick, she had cancer, but she'd always said when, when Winnie dies, I want to adopt the oldest dog in the shelter because then it can be like, and I truly thought it was going to be like, this was like, it's like I'm giving a nice an animal a nice home for its golden years. It's like not really necessarily family. It's like he's staying in my bed and breakfast, you know, like I get to give him a nice trip at the bed and breakfast before he passes on. And I didn't think that that dog that she rescued, you know, in theory was going to be a 14 and a half year old. So she rescues this dog and I'm like, Ma, do you realize what you're doing to yourself? You might have a year with this dog hearing that there's like a 20 year old Chihuahua, like who notoriously have health issues, just like wandering around the Bronx is absolutely fucking crazy. That's awesome. I love that. I absolutely love that. This, this pet owner, you, I wish you grabbed their contact information. We need to have them on the podcast. (laughs) I'll see them eventually. Them the I actually, I've seen them walking around. It's it's at the park that we were hanging out at. Oh yeah, yeah. At. Oh yeah. Um, By the way, yesterday, uh, Boots and uh, we we were in the city this weekend. Boots and Joey had a nice little play date. That was real fun. But but yeah, I mean, if you see them again, let's get them on the show. <laughs> I'll be like, I need your number because I need to know how. I I know I need to talk to their vet. How do you keep this like, dog alive? I got some questions. <laughs> Yeah. But that being said, after we recorded this podcast, I like felt so extra in love with my dog after just like talking about it. It was very weird when I like ran over and let boots out of the crate. And I was like, I love you. That's well, that's kind of the effect that like we all kind of landed in this place where, you know, after after hearing some of the things that we talked about, you it, it was all very positive stuff for the most part. Some of it was very scientific and behavioral because that's what happens when I moderate a conversation between a like dog trainer who's very rooted in dog behavior and someone who is very, very immense in literally the nature of a dog's brain. Um, it, it gets, it can get sciencey, but it's, it's all very, very interesting. And I think, um, we covered a lot of ground on just kind of like what your dogs are feeling and what they're thinking about and the ways that they are, are raised and brought up and pack mentality and, um, the effects of dogs on like our culture as like this crazy social media obsessed, you know, dog rates, we're adding you right now, like at dog rates. Um, it's, it's, it's a really thorough conversation and, and yeah, and it did, it, I, I walked away from it really just wanting to cuddle up with my dog. So we hope it has the same effect on you guys. Um, due diligence, forgot about that. Please give us a follow on our social media. Um, our handle is at UFR vodcast. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with that handle. That's 
U-F-R-V as in vlogging, because that's what we used to do. <laughs> V-O-D-C-A-S-T. Um, and if you have any questions, comments, concerns, if you just need someone to yell at or someone to have a conversation with, or if you have any recommendations for who we should have on our show, you can email us at helloufr at gmail.com and we will get to you if we feel like it. Um, we'll probably get, get back to you though, because we're pretty bored these days. Um, and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Let us know how you feel, but only if you felt good about it, please. Um, I also think a lot of our conversation, we talk a lot about dog sports in, in, you know, the sense of agility competitions and also obviously just dog shows. Um, just because that's something that we historically here at UFR have covered, but, um, it was interesting to think about behavior and dog behavior, um, as it pertains to sport. I, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think what people fail to understand, and I find that people who really understand, uh, dog and threshold and uh, stress and the different kinds of stress and how there are good stresses and bad stresses have a really solid understanding of performance, generally speaking. Um, I find, and this is honestly the way people that work in sports medicine, people that work in sports performance um, also like understand uh, how to make people perform at their best. Everyone takes a certain amount of stress, quote stress, and a certain type of stress to to kind of hit max performance. For dogs, that's why you add treats to something. That's why you reinforce. That's why you add, bring a toy into something or a flirt pull or whatever that, that's fun for the dog to get them really engaged and excited. So when you are learning, you're at a peak amount of performance. Sure. And, you know, when you bring it to sports, when you bring it to someone like a quarterback, if you're in a sport, you generally have a pretty high threshold, or you should. Uh, you should be able to withstand a lot of stress, and it should be able to put you in a position of very good performance. Now, is that always the case? No. Carson Wentz? Sorry, buddy. Your threshold is not quite high. Uh, someone like, <laughs> like Carson Wentz does not thrive well, and I don't either. So, Carson, if you're listening to this, I'm with you. I do not thrive well in situations where there's an negative pressure put on me um and so this idea whether it's be him or somebody else being like bench blank to light a fire under their ass it's like a what a common thing everyone loves to say you have to ask yourself it's the same with dogs is that amount of pressure is that quote punishment actually going to help that person learn and perform better or is it actually going to put that person over threshold freak them out to an extent that ends up making them fail more. Um, I find, and you know, it's just kind of this toxic mentality in sports that like, if you tell people they're shitty, they do better. When scientifically that just doesn't add up. Yerkes Dodson. <laughs> uh, even though like with, like I'm, I'm thinking like behavioral stuff, like, um, like Michael Thomas being benched a few weeks ago um, for, for literally like, like, I guess the, our, we've been led to believe it was like bad behavior. Like there was some situation that happened that I, we don't know about, but 
but by benching him then it's like reinforcing it's it's a punishing it's punishing and yeah whatever this antecedent was you know Mm -hmm. um it is it is like maybe maybe we're grasping at straws too much but it is definitely interesting to think about in the sense of how we behave as humans um with other humans in the same way that we behave as humans as it pertains to our dogs we also talk about um uh the woman who who trained her husband after she trained like whales um <laughs> there's we get into a lot of really fun stuff in this episode yeah yeah i mean i think with, with michael thomas was like a classic uh technically negative punishment so like the removal of something to make um a behavior happen less often so they removed him playing in a game which is typically a positively reinforcing aspect to him i'm sure mm-hmm. or the money either way um and he ideally if that if that was a consequence to his bad behavior he will perform more ideal behaviors and then have a more positively reinforcing consequence, which is playing the game. The same way we train dogs, the same way people make learning choices. Uh, you, you, Every behavior has a consequence and an antecedent that leads to it. And thus, I guess there was a circumstance in which Michael Thomas did something and the consequence from the team made it very clear to them and Michael that they did not want that behavior to happen again. And that's that on that. So... That being said, uh, should we kick it over to, to our interview? Yeah, Georgia people, vote. Here we are again. <laughs> Here we are again. Here again, Georgia Here people. It's time we don't even have an ad to run for it because that's no, over. It's so. over, but Georgia people run off to elections. Mm-hmm. Um, if you need any information, ask. I've got it. And with that, we're going to kick it over to our interview. Uh, Please enjoy this conversation with New York Times bestselling author and brilliant and beautiful human being, um, Dr. Alexandra Horowitz. Hello. Hey. Hello. Hello. Thanks so much for joining us, by the way. Yeah, fun. I'm delighted to. I've heard so many wonderful things about you from your time with Mike and the puppies. <laughs> that was a great treat. I was so grateful to have someone come on a weekly basis. You don't understand. Like I needed it. I was like, I need somebody to come here who knows about what this is. So I could at the very right. least have some like emotional vomit of like, this is the craziest <laughs> thing I will ever do in my entire life hands down you were handling it great those puppies were so cute i was so relieved when he kept one like oh, you yeah. can't not after something like that i thought there was a chance there were going to be two a chance a chance that he might keep two yeah i think i you know obviously like a quote like puppy mate syndrome it's not in like in my opinion like i don't know if puppy mate syndrome itself is a real thing or just like the implications of and you probably know a ton about this about puppies from the same litter mm-hmm. staying together and how that dynamic could turn into um, less than, quote, less than ideal behaviors. Um, and I think I ta- I'm, I'm a single dad. And so I think the way I saw it and living in a New York apartment and the way I, I viewed that was, I don't have the space or the agency or the time to facilitate that probability. Um, so that, that's usually why I, I definitely kept it to one. I kept the one that I knew that I saw was kind of already independent from the the litter. And I noticed Boots always kind of, not strayed, but like definitely 
um, was able to mitigate like alone time. And I was like, okay, I can see or at least vibe from this specific dog that he will do well without another pet. Um, and so far that's been very true. Except for the cats, awesome. you know. Yeah, <laughs> well, the cat doesn't want anything to do with him. Not now. He, well, you know, I always tell clients this. I'm like, don't put a barrier up because that cat cannot handle that puppy energy. It's just not fair. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're you're killing it from from what I can see, and it's so I'm I'm so excited to hear about Alexandra. I don't know what you're comfortable talking about, but I'm so interested. I loved. I haven't read your other book yet, but I oh, I love this book. Thank you. Um, for as much as like, I'm I'm very dense as far as like science is concerned. Um, like animal behavior is something that's innately interesting to me as a pet owner. But um, but your writing is so beautiful. Um, I, I love the way that you write. Mm. So thank you for oh, that. That's really nice of you to say. Thank you. <laughs> but I mean, dogs but, are an easy way to make science accessible too, right? Because we're all kind of already observers of our animals. And so we have some of these impulses or inclinations. We're already, you know, we're already watching them. And so then to just say, oh, here's what we know. It, it, if, if it makes the picture complete, I think for a lot of people who've lived with dogs, that's what it was like for me. You know, I was living with dog and then I started studying animal behavior. And then I look back at my dog and I was like, oh my God, like I, I hadn't seen all that about you, you know? And, and it really changed my relationship with her. So anyway, but thank you. No, of course. It's it's just so like it feels so easy because we sit around and we watch our animals and it's like and we're constantly asking questions. Why are you doing this? Um, like why? Why? What is this behavior coming from? What are you what do you need? What do you want from me? What are you thinking when you're like staring me down? Like we're just asking these questions all the time. Yeah, totally. And the what what are you thinking kind of is an interesting one to me. Right. And it's and it's the the perfect example of how we were assuming that there kind of is a like human like cognition inside of the dog, which could just, you know, if we gave them the right tools, like come out and tell us, you know, exactly what their experience is. And in a way, what I try to get across is like, it's not obvious that that's the case. Like they're really, I mean, even though they're so symbiotic with us and so flexible dealing with human behavior they're also like their own creature and part of appreciating them is saying like oh maybe maybe we're not going to know exactly what you're thinking we're not going to translate your behavior into words but um we can respect you for who you are we can get a better understanding of who you are and respect that and that improves our relationship i love that i i think that's a great philosophy I also find that like, I guess, working with dogs and people, I should say like uh, professionally, I think it's really fun, at least the way I come about it. And I think a lot of modern trainers are coming at dog training these days from a much more um, uh, scientific route, from like a learning theory route, from, from like a, like a, I guess just like an experience route, like the experience of the learner and like empowering the learner. Um, and it's really cool for the people that stick it out, how, I'll be considering concepts of like avoidant behaviors, like behaviors that are involved in avoiding something, demanding behaviors, behaviors that are involved in demanding. And when you explain it to people in that way, and I can say to them, I was like, you know, people have avoidant behaviors in dating or they have it in like at work environments or whatever. And I find I come back week to week and 
people will either text me throughout the week or tell me when I get back being like, oh my God, I was in a work meeting. And then like my, my boss got like really, really like mad and like stormed out. And like, that was like an avoidant behavior. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's really cool to watch people um, have these realizations about like how they experience life through the lens of watching and learning how their dog does. And while like our brains probably most likely are pretty different than a dog's brain, like the way we experience life, I think we're starting to realize is when it comes down to it, not that different. Like we all want the same thing, or not want the same thing, but we all want things, I think is what it's about. Um, Right. Yeah. I love, I love looking at dogs as a, as a lens to understand humans better, right? For one thing, there's this kind of radical empathy we have with dogs, which sometimes we don't extend to people. And so we interpret their behavior kind of really in this really perfunctory way, like they're just being a jerk, right? Or he's just an ass or whatever, right? And I don't know why those are my examples. That's not in my head right now. I don't know. But, um, but with dog, our first inclination is to be like, oh, what's going on? Like what I want to understand and the better a trainer or an observer you get to be with dogs, the more you kind of do start to understand and, and do have good explanations for that behavior. It's not an annoying behavior. It's a bark because they're communicating something because you didn't listen to their other communications. And now you're like, oh, I should, I should pay attention to that. And so to extend that kind of radical empathy to, to people is really useful. I, I feel like living with dogs makes people better people, right? Because they suddenly see others, right? Whereas we can get very much in our own heads with our own motivations. So I, you know, I think it, I think that parallel is perfect. I don't know if you remember the uh, woman who wound up um, learning what she, she was a journalist and she wound up st- like following people who were training orcas um, and other marine mammals. And it was just all normal learning theory, right? It was all reinforce the behavior you want and ignore the behavior you don't want. And she decided to apply it to her husband as well. Do you remember this story? No, I don't, but it sounds incredible. (laughs) And, you know, it worked really, really well, right? Instead of like nagging her husband for whatever she was nagging him about to wash the dishes or clean up his dirty underwear from the floor or something like she just, you know, like made a situation available so he could succeed. And then when he did, she really rewarded him for that. And like, she shaped his behavior and also kind of came to see his behavior is not about her, but like as something which she had a habit and if it was important to her to change it, like she could help him change it. So I love, I love that. I think she might've written a book about it as well, following up on that. Cause uh, people, people really were responsive. Amy Sutherland, right? Sutherland? Oh, is that it? New York, it was Something a New York like Times that. article. I think I found it. It was a Times article. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting uh, because then at the end of the day, like I feel like all beings at, at, at the end of the day just like are looking for specific consequences and like what varies is the antecedents that uh, follow the unique amount of behaviors. But at the end of the day, the consequences are, it's all about consequences. I think Um, I, I, at least the way I look at it now, it's like the antecedents and the behaviors always come down to a consequence. And and Mm. whether you're a dog, whether you're some sort of animal or or insect or whatever, I imagine there's a consequence needed by everybody, whether or not it's like, 
a reasonable or valid consequence is probably where the debate comes in, but it is true that we all, everything has a, needs a consequence and multiple of them, um, how they get there is, is probably where it gets complicated. Totally. Well, that's why I think it's so cool. I mean, to be able, first off, Mike, you're privy to an experience that very few pet owners are in the sense that you watched this being come to earth and you will have known it for literally its entire life. And I'm curious, I don't know if you can talk about it, Alexandra, but what, what are you working on with these or what were you working on with these dogs? Right. So with, so I've been, so I have these sort of different hats I wear one, you know, as a researcher, we actually study behavior of, of pet dogs, of owned domestic dogs by like bringing them to our little lab and, and running a little test or whatever, or observing them in their homes. Um, but I'm also a writer, as you know, right, about that type of research. And sometimes it's not just about mine and other research, it's like its own thing. Like when I wanted to um, understand more about what it was like to be a smelling creature like dogs are, I went out and, you know, trained, trained myself to smell better. So I studied with perfumers and sommeliers and I, and I did animal tracking by smell. And like, so I just did a little project to try to supplement the science about how a smelling creature experiences the world. And here too, I wanted to talk, to write a book about um, the first year of a dog's development because for many of us, who, who live with dogs, who adopt dogs, especially, but even people who buy dogs, they, they aren't going to see the first eight weeks, 10 weeks, maybe four months of their dog's life. But it's this hugely important time in their development. And I thought I've got to, I've just got to witness that time. So I'm doing that by, you know, watching lots of different litters, um, hopefully also some working dog litters, depending on what COVID avails or not. Hopefully some wolf litters too, depending on whether the wolves get pregnant when they're supposed to get pregnant. And, and then also we adopted this one pup who I'd, who I'd met at her birth. And so I'm doing this kind of, these two parallel stories of dog's development, what science knows about it, and also what I've observed in especially these first few months of um, a dog's life, which is often unseen by the family that they wind up with. That's so cool. That I mean, it, it really is incredible. Our dog, our dog Joey was one of Mike's fosters and they guesstimate she's about two, but we sit around all the time and just wonder where the hell she came from and like what those first few months were like, like, was she, we don't know if she was born on a street or if she was bred or what her deal is. Um, and, and it, like we, we witness particular behaviors, particularly, you know, those that come with having a rescue dog where we're like, something must've really, something must've happened to her early on to kind of dictate this. And it's all very elementary, like dog owners know this, but, um, but to be able to really kind of get a hands-on look at the way that they interact with each other as a litter and their surroundings is just fascinating. You, you both have now had that experience. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. I'm really curious too, what Mike, you think about, you know, how you connect your pup's behavior to his very early behavior, like, or if there's no connection at all, right? If you, if you think like he's still really evolving as a personality. 
Yeah. That, you know what I always say um, is that like personality, like we don't know where personality comes from. Like, I don't, I, I think it's pretty clear to everyone that like people and what, the concept of people when it comes to adopting or buying uh, buying a puppy, if you will, um, and they'll say like, well, we just don't know what we're going to get. And I always laugh because I'm like, what? I'm like, do you ever really know what you're going to get? Like, and, and that's kind of what I, you're right. It's what it came down to. If you remember, you remember Bottom, like Bottom was always the, the he, he always did kind of step back, but he's certainly not that dog anymore. Um, he's real, real confident. Uh, he has this like a, uh, 50 pound pit bull friend and understand he's still like 25 pounds. He's still pretty small. Um, and they go to the park together and like boots will, for a lack of a better term, post up. Like he will, <laughs> he plays rough. He's very confident, but he wasn't always like that. And you know, the implications of his raising of uh, Viola, the mother, she was lovely, but uh, definitely there were some s- motivated operations or whatever you want to say that made her not in totally inclined or fond of being a mother um and thus had to like separation had to happen earlier than we would have preferred and then so I always I always was curious as to those implications and you know at first he it when I would introduce him to things on a daily basis it would take him an extra day to come back to it later to then really experience it and I noticed that he needed a little bit more time. And so I thought, well, maybe the, the, the like quote, losing his mother earlier than he w- would have normally, plus um, the mother being a little bit less than fond of, of the litter and not, not always the kindest to the litter, I thought might have an implication on his, um, on his confidence. And it might have a little bit, but I think as, like you said, the first, uh, I think it's like 13-ish weeks. I don't think we're really quite sure, but like these first like few months are so informative that at least I know for myself, I, I focus so heavily on introductions every day, new things, make it easy, putting them in circumstances to opt in, opt out, um, and like make it fun. Uh, and doing that, I found like there's just, he's just not the same dog anymore. He, he's so confident. He's so friendly. He it's very rare when dogs are always very, very, um, I'll say like middle ground aroused, if that makes sense. Like they have that like middle uh, central like tail wag and like a soft eye when they meet people. Um, Except for usually like that. They're usually like jumping up on people whether, and the implications of that are obviously complicated. It could mean a thousand things or they're like running away. But um, I feel very blessed that uh, Bottom Now now Boots uh, actually does approach things very um neutrally or at least excitedly at, at at best or at worst he like chooses to walk away which is like my favorite thing about him is that he mm. knows that he can just kind of be like no and turn around and walk away <laughs> so i i'd say you know um while like the the dog that i saw grow up is not the same dog um i can definitely say that the like context of how I chose to raise him having that privilege um, definitely informed a lot, which was great. Yeah, it sounds like he has a good like sense of self to put it, you know, like he's, he's confident that's, and that might be the, that might be ultimately the result, the biggest result from having all those options and having a comfortable, non-anxious place to grow up mm-hmm. is that then when he gets into an environment where it's just him and this person, whatever you bring to the table, he'll be able to receive, right? Mm-hmm. And in other contexts, if he doesn't have a great match with a person, maybe he would 
veer in a slightly different direction, um, but he'd be a little more resilient. And you know, what's funny about the, the litters I'm watching, I'm thinking as I hear, you know, you're, you're thinking about your, your dog Kata is that um, uh, I'm not watching litters that like are on the street, right? I'm only watching litters where there is somebody, a foster who's actually taking good care of the pups. So it might be actually a little harder to trace some of those like, where does this come from? But like my dog is fearful of this type of thing, you know, of like large vehicles, like it must've had some early exposure. Um, I won't be following those litters where maybe that was the case. So I'm not sure that I could even answer, like try to unpack questions like that. But I really am curious, certainly. I, the litter we followed um, from which our, our quiddity came, um, I'm still in touch with all the other, with all her other litter mates and with the mom, the foster, the, the person who adopted the mom. Um, and she had 10 litter mates. And so we've gotten to see how in size, in personality, you know, they've diverged and also the ways they converge and that they're actually temperamentally somewhat similar. Um, and that's been very cool because you feel like they're glimpses of it, but like Mike says, like it's, it really plays out in a different direct dimension, you know, past those four months. Totally. Oh my gosh. It's so, it is so fascinating. Um, Cause I think, I think it's so easy. I mean, you know, we all treat our dogs like little people. Like I, I literally refer to my dog as my daughter. Um, like that's what she is to me. Um, but, but they're like little people who just need us and need love and, um, and have Don't their, we all? <laughs> well, yes, yeah, exactly. Um, and they all have their own personalities and the ways that they handle things. Um, I'm curious, like, and going back to your point, you, you said that, I, I'm, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but something to the effect of, you know, having a dog kind of makes, makes you a, a better person. There's that hypothesis. And first off, I don't trust people who don't like dogs. Like <laughs> I know those people and I don't trust them. Um, it's ridiculous, but like it really, there's just this profound relationship that is built like and and so much empathy from both ends like if i it's not you know when joey cries i immediately tend to her if i cry she's on my lap like she knows what's going something is going on and um yeah like they're they really are just like little people i mean they're so responsive and that's it is kind of endearing and extraordinary and sometimes kind of like tragic how 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 much they'll keep coming back to people even people who mistreat them, right? Um, because they really kind of need us in that way. Yeah. And as for like, you know, people who don't like dogs, I will just say that, um, you know, it's really exciting. We're gonna have dogs in the White House. Yes. Yeah. A rescue dog in the White House. A rescue dog in the White House. I've been thinking a lot about that because of the rescue um, kind of moniker and when I was writing my last book, um, where I wrote a lot about breed, and to something that Mike was saying before, like the uh, people's expectation that if you get a certain breed, you're going to have a certain kind of personality, mm -hmm. right? That it's as though it's already selected. And that's why people want the breed. I love this breed because they're all like fill in the blank, like friendly with kids, right? Like, you know, we'll like to play fetch, whatever it is. And then of course, 
there's this huge variation by individuals. Um, so I feel like that's all bunk basically. But in, so what's interesting is that people are very breed um, focused and they love their breeds. They have a lot of allegiance to certain breeds. And, but then there's this whole other group, sort of my people who like, you know, likes mixed breeds, likes just mutts, wants to rescue dogs. And this, and you know, when I was a kid, it was a dog from a shelter. Now it's all rescue dogs. And I think there's also is, because I'm a member of this group, I can say this, I think like a little bit of self-importance and like we're rescuing the dog. Like this, this dog we have saved from whatever, right? Like we're, we're basically it just means you've adopted a dog that like wasn't, you know, didn't come to being to be sold for money. Sort of a more awkward thing to say, but, and so the notion that there's a rescue dog in the White House is interesting because it is a purebred dog, right? It's a purebred German Shepherd which I don't know exactly what the dog's background was, but um, had been in the Humane Society and so was adopted from there. But I was like, hmm, like, is that good enough as a rescue dog? Because like, what about a mixed breed? That would have been great. Why couldn't they have done that, right? There haven't been a ton of mixed breeds in the office either. I don't think since Kennedy, I think, not since Kennedy and Kennedy, uh, if you don't, yeah, I think not since Kennedy, Kennedy was given a dog. Um, um by russia and it was a mixed breed dog and then he mated that dog with his other dog and so they got even more mixed breed dogs and you know but i would love there to be not just a rescue but but a but a mutt representation matters <laughs> representation yes. matters will this dog <laughs> represent all of the rescue dogs in our name that's right <laughs> for the right. first dog you have a job to do <laughs> Exactly. I was talking exactly. about this at the bar last night. And by the bar, <laughs> I mean outside. <laughs> and I was uh, talking to my friend and I was like, I wonder if there's going to be this huge glorification of uh, rescue dogs now because there's like the rescue dog in the White House. And like, you know, obviously like um, the media, social media, whatever kind of media you want to say, like it's all about glorification at the end of the day or like damnation. Yeah. I mean, it depends. Um, but it's all about narrative and no one's gonna make a bad narrative on a dog. Um, yeah, yeah. And so if there's this beautifully like exciting, wonderful narrative about this rescue dog, does the idea of rescuing become um, more glorified? I, mm -hmm. I, won I wonder that and we'll see. I mean, right now adopting a dog is like competitive <laughs> because yeah, of for sure. COVID. But before COVID, I mean, I was fostering prior to all this and I can say it definitely wasn't. Um, most of my dogs got adopted pretty quickly, but some like, went through like events and came out with nothing um so we'll see i i would love to see although you're right i would i would have loved to have seen like a, a mixed dog i hope the narrative of this is my rescue dog sticks because if we're gonna if the narrative is like glorifying just the idea of rescuing um and having quote rescued this dog whether that is masturbatory or not i don't know uh, it might be a little <laughs> bit might at the end of the day might have a positive implications I don't know. It's complicated. We'll see. Yeah, I hope it does. I mean, you know that when a dog is in a movie, when a certain type of dog is in a movie, then people run out to get that dog. Yeah. Even if in the movie they're a disaster, right? Like they're, you know, they're really hard to live with or they make a mess or, you know, they're the St. Bernard or the Terrier or the Jack Russell Terrier or something. People are like, I love that dog. It's so cute. And adoptions or purchases of those dogs go way up. And then, of course, 
they wind up in the shelters because they're difficult dogs mm -hmm. and so forth. So I think the president, you know, being in the White House could have that same effect for rescue dogs. I don't know if it will for German Shepherds because German Shepherds are having a kind of tough time right now. They've been associated with uh, like, I mean, they can be sometimes difficult, but they've been associated with so many like uh, police activities and, sure. and the Nazis and all these, you know, <laughs> so they've got a kind of bum rap too. <laughs> poor, poor guys. I think yeah. I, I'm very fascinated. Um, I, I know you've written a lot about about kind of representation of dogs in um, I think I read something of yours that was like children's series. Um, oh yeah. And, and just kind of the, the effects that it kind of has on, on what the, the dog community. I don't know. Like what, what are words, but, um, but I, I do think that's such a fascinating narrative, like certain breeds become more popular and develop certain like, I, I guess, um, reputations, based on what we see in the mainstream. Oh, for sure. And now look at, and also sort of what our neighbors have, right? I mean, New York City is now like doodle central. Oh yeah. I go to Riverside Park sometimes and there are only doodles out. I just, it's just like this weird thing has happened. Some kind of genetic change has happened to all dogs. And now they're all these little curly haired <laughs> teddy bears. It's alarming actually, right? And so it's, that's going through a moment too. We are very, I mean, we treat dogs like we do all trend things. Like I saw somebody wearing it. And so now I have to have it. Mm -hmm. um, or someone had this bag, this purse or these shoes, and now I have to have it. And dogs are um, considered objects to the law. And frankly, from a lot of people's behavior, they're considered objects to people, right? Like they're an object that you can buy on impulse this weekend. And you don't have to spend any time getting qualified to buy that object. And so that's, that's just a really weird thing. When I think about my life with dogs and most people who I know that the connection, the relationship that they have with their dogs, that legally they're still objects. They're just pr personal property. And also that it's so easy to you know, start a life with this object, a life that if you're lucky might last like 15, 17 years to me, it like boggles my mind. I was just having a conversation with someone yesterday about this, about I have, I don't, I'm not like, like one of those dog trainers that's like very like um, tough about my, my like thoughts on training. I understand like learning is very flexible, but the rules I have, two of them are as you're not allowed to refer to yourself as your dog's master. Mm. Um, I think it's weird. Um, it's, it's just odd. And honestly, like historical implication of masters weird in itself, sure. but then like, it just like, it gets into this like quote, like, I don't like the word obedience training. I don't like commands. I think it's very like ownershipy. I almost don't even like the word owner. I prefer, and I ask people, especially when I can tell that the relationship between the dog and the owner is not like, um, I can tell that the dog isn't looking towards that person for information. Um, it's clear. And I will make rules about how we're speaking to the dog, not because I think the dog can understand the words, but it's because it's, it's the like emotional implication behind it. It's like, mm -hmm. if you're saying like, he doesn't follow commands and I'll yeah. be like, let's say cues. 
because it's communication, right? So it's like, we're not, it's not like I bought this thing for it to listen to me. It's like, you have a living thing. That's your responsibility. Like you would have a child. I asked people, I was like, I prefer to you, uh, refer to yourself as a parent, um, that parent. I don't think like vocabulary, I don't think it's defined as just children. I think it's, you're just like, or guardian, go to have a guardian. I just think you're right that this idea of like, I own this dog and this dog listens to me now. I think Honestly, it's only the men that ever do it. Um, I don't think I've ever worked with a woman that's ever been like, I'm the master of this dog. And I, it's literally only ever men. Sorry, guys. Um, I, that's just my <laughs> anecdotal experience. But I just don't stand for this weird implication that it's like the dog doesn't listen to me. And thus that dog is challenging me. Or then we get into dominance theory. And then we get into this like oh, whole, this very frustrating concepts that are completely based in human ego and have nothing to do with the way anybody learns. It's just, yeah. it's very silly to me. I, I agree. I, I, it's very frustrating when people look at their dogs as, as, um, owned property because I mean yes I guess like in the eyes of the law they are but like you don't have to if you consider it that way like what kind of why did you get a dog like what's the point I was like what was the point I was like why you don't look like why do you have a kid you know like you don't have a kid because you want to own a human (laughs) you know it's like you have a kid because you want to have a family and I if again like I'd rather walk into a session and be like hey did you want to have a dog to have as a family member or did you want the dog to do something for you and sometimes people will say well i wanted the dog to do blank and blank for me and then i'll usually say you should probably rehome the dog uh mm-hmm. because there are people out there that will want the dog as a family member um and if you want a working dog you can go to a, a breeder who makes working dogs specifically i someone reached out to me the other day being like i need to train my dog to be a guard dog and i sent them a link to uh someone who sells guard dogs <laughs> and i'm like that you know I'm not really sure how I feel about the implications of having working dogs. Um, it's a, yeah. it's complicated, but I'll say yeah. like at, you bought a domestic dog, domesticated dog born from just a litter. Please rehome that dog. Um, I yeah. will certainly help you rehome that dog. I, I think you're totally right about these words mattering. You know, I, I don't know. I always would have thought that, but now owner really rankles me. I don't want to talk about owning dog. And even this other little language that I've started realize it started to like I've never really talked about this but raise a little bit of um my hackles too like saying where did you get your dog or you know how many dogs do you have this type of stuff like I like I got a dog it's true I accurately it's accurate to say that I went and got a dog and brought her home but what really was like I met the dog I met her and I adopted her and now she's at home with me and I'm her person and she's my dog. Like that's a mutual thing. She's not mine. She's, and I don't own her. It's like all of those things or how many do I have? Well, I guess I, I have children, I have dogs, but it's like more like I live with my child. I live with my dogs. Like they have me as much as I have them. And so like untangling a cup of that language, I think will make a difference in how people think about dogs. And eventually the law will change so that they aren't just considered like blocks of wood, you know, in, in the law's eyes. So, so that's the right, like keep doing that, Mike. Well, Yay. well, and let's be honest here. If any party has any party more, they own us. That's like, right. come that's on, right. they're, they're running the show here. Let's not kid ourselves. 
Um, I, I want to kind of take this opportunity to try to gracefully segue into something that I'm super curious about. Um, I know that you have covered dog shows and for the past two years, um, my friend Andrew and I have covered the Westminster dog show as sports people, as people who are football <laughs> fans primarily and kind of as like the outsiders. So we're standing there with Fox sports and Fox sports is asking all of these very eloquent, beautiful questions about like, you know, girth and length and grace and whatever. And we're like, so, um, how many dogs do you like, like what, what, how many dogs are you, are you leading around here? Like, can we pet your dog? Like just kind of the total outsiders. And a lot of people fortunately thought it was very charming, but a lot of people were like, you guys don't belong here and you need to leave. Um, which is just kind of the nature of the beast, but it is a very serious sport um, and a huge industry. And the way that it's been explained to me is by, by people who participate in these shows, but also love their dogs because I, I don't really, all right, whatever. Um, it is that it is a, a very like healthy environment and, um, a, a really almost like a nice privileged thing to do for your dog. I've heard a lot of different philosophies on exactly how the industry is positively affecting dogs hmm. i'm i'm very well, curious kind of what your opinion is i so i've covered only the agility part portion of westminster which is the part i like it's the best part i like the i like the agility part yes um and and before i get to your question which which is a good question i will i will say that my favorite part of the agility apart from like the well one is just a huge enthusiasm of the dog, many of the dogs participating, where they're just over the moon, like they're sh like shaking in their out of their skin to do this thing, right? And at the end, they leap into their person's arms, and it's like terrific. My second favorite thing is when there are no dogs there, and the handlers just run through the course, <laughs> like <laughs> yes, and they look, and it, but like make they make the motions and they like talk to the dogs who are like not there. That's my second favorite part of that. <laughs> so all of that is great. Yes. That's just, it's a great spectacle, whether they're dogs or not, right? Whereas the, the, the main Westminster dog show is not like that. I don't think it's as like rich with like real humor, like uh, the natural humor of, and joy of dogs is on display in agility, but that's not, but nothing natural about the dog is on display when they're trotted around the ring, right? It's, it's more just like the set of things which are the judges say are super important to determine who's the best in breed. Um, and what I would like to think about is what the dog's point of view is doing that. Mm -hmm. So what part of that do I have any evidence that the dog enjoys? Well, like backstage, you know, being handled, waiting in the crate, I don't see a lot of enjoyment there. They might put up with it, you know, but you don't see a lot of dogs like exuberant to be doing that, right? They're just like, they've been trained and sensitized to stay still while they're being blow dried. Um, there are a lot of noise in that area. They usually can't go very far. So I don't think that's an enjoyable part. In the ring, 
sometimes they seem to enjoy trotting around with their handler, like that kind of like symbiosis between a handler and a dog. I think that's enjoyable. Being then manhandled by the judge, literally belt up. Again, I think they put up with it pretty well. That's the, that's the thing that dogs are so good at, putting up with all the shit we give them. <laughs> yes. But I don't see any signs behaviorally, just objectively looking at their behavior of enjoyment of that. Sure. So my answer to like, what, what do I think about that is like, I'm interested in the dog's point of view on what's happening. And that's what they're giving me. Like, I don't see that as being an enjoyable activity for most dogs. Most of it is not enjoyable. So I'm with them. I'm with the dogs. Oh, mm-hmm. of course. We, we're always with the dogs over here. Trust <laughs> me. I, I want to go back then to, to, you know, this agility thing. Cause I mean, agility is just, you're right. It can be one of the most joyful things to watch as, as they just go so fast and furious. And even when they mess up, like they don't know, and they're just having fun. Um, Like that's, that's something that probably requires, I've, I've not tried and I have no intention to, because it, it probably requires such intense focus and training and patience. Um, and then, and at the same time, it's the the dogs like, like there was a dog I remember last year who had a purple tail, who was like zooming through and they've got these very eccentric owners sometimes. And, and still they're so sure. trained and they're so just ready to play. It's like a game for them. Yeah. Can you talk to me yeah. about, about what you've kind of observed there? Well, what I think is that, um, you know, in some ways, the the average owned domestic dog, there's very little that they really do with their person. So maybe they have, if they're lucky, they get a couple walks a day, right? Maybe there's some time where the person sets aside to like play with them, or they just are sort of sitting together or snuggling on the couch. Like they don't have things they do, but these are like active quadrupeds. Most of them love doing things. They love to engage in puzzles and finding and running activities, right? Left alone with each other, they do a huge amount of play together or running or investigating. So this is just an organized thing. It doesn't have to be the agility obstacles, you know, but it's an organized thing that people and dogs can do together where dogs can excel. They can like come into their natural self. And it works for us, I think, because we enjoy their skill at these things, like in a way, you know, you, I might enjoy like watching college runners because I can no longer run that fast. Um, and they're just like so amazing, right? And, but it's, it's partly because I can't do it, but I kind of know how challenging that is. And so I think we get to enjoy that and get to enjoy doing something together where we're communicating because there's a lot of communication that is handed off between the dog and the person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're, we're the ones who are competitive, right? People do also like to compete in this because for whatever reason, you know, humans like to win things. Again, you're right. I don't think the dogs are caring about that at all. I mean, I don't think they are, they're seeing it at all in the same way. It's entirely just a game they get to play in something they flourish in with their owners for 35 seconds. And they look forward to it. They can't wait till the next time. I mean, I love it. I love that. It's so much fun. I find that 
and this is funny when I got into dog training I was always like I'm not gonna do like competitions like I don't need to do that I I don't know why I scoffed so much at the idea maybe because it did feel weirdly exploitative um that did come from a space of like me not knowing like logistics do I still feel the same way sort of but what I find is that as someone who I still only do either behavioral quote behavioral cases whatever that really means um and like puppy training right um, and I find that an understanding of agility and why agility is so fun for a dog is actually a really fun tool for training. Boots specifically could not lay down. He did not understand. Um, and I found that he was very inclined to jumping over and going under things. And I was like, ah, okay. Uh-huh. And so I was able to kind of use my leg as like a bridge in which he crawled under. Uh-huh. And then I realized that with this, with my dog specifically, that agility was something that actually was really exciting for him and to be able to kind of go over and under and like, whether it's exploration, whether or not it's like the act of like physically being agile, I don't know, but he loves it. Um, and I found myself buying like fold up version of like tubes and like hoops and stuff and bring it to the park, not because I'm at all interested in competing with him because he just loves it. Like, and yeah. Why is completely, I, I'm not sure, um, but it's it's in, an important, I think agility as it stands alone is important for dogs. It's impor- It might be a really important enrichment for them. In the competitive circumstance, I'm like 50-50. I'm like, I think as long as the dog is completely unaware of like stakes and possible negative consequence to like mm-hmm. it, um, and like is respected and has like that kind of autonomy to again I say this all the time opt in and opt out uh I say go off but at the end of the day I I, I feel like I can do those things with my dog anywhere I feel like I can and bring enjoy them and enjoy them and I don't need to get a ribbon for it oh yeah I mean I think they're good and so if, it, it, if you're competitive it's only because the person wants to be competitive the dog is never making that choice right they never opt into the competitions so if you have a person who's sensitive enough to decide whether their dog is, you know, getting something from it or not, then it's worth it. But I've never competed with any of my dogs and I, and I don't think I ever will exactly. I don't, that's not the important part of it for me. Just like with you, it's just being able to do those things together. And I like what you say about like the dog learning, you know, boots learning to lie down by going under something. I think just like with a lot of training it's not about the thing per se. It's not about doing agility or being great at agility per se. It's like learning about your body. Like how, right? You've got a little child here and they don't know how to lie down or they don't know how to keep themselves still. So it's great to teach them to sit and wait, not because sit is so such an important thing to learn to do. And that's not the end of training. It's because sit means, oh, I realize that there are times where I need to like still my body that works for everybody and I can do it. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think is important about that. And about agility, like, yeah, I can move my body in these ways that I didn't think I could move or I could do it in an organized way. I remember seeing at the working dog center at Penn where they're, they train working dogs for all sorts of capacities, you know, from cancer research um, through uh, epileptic detection, Mm -hmm. uh, seizure detection or, search and rescue and police dogs. And so for those latter type where their dogs are gonna be out in the world, maybe doing um, like search and rescue at a disaster site, 
they have to be able to navigate like really tricky environments and surfaces. And they have an exercise they do with all the dogs where they teach them to climb up a ladder. That's because they're gonna encounter ladders. But what's great is that dogs don't know about their back legs. That's how they, not they, how they normally move. And they have to learn because they're on the ladder to use their back legs like very deliberately, like where am I gonna put my back leg? How am I gonna put my left one and my right one? Whereas usually they can just like whoosh, like throw themselves forward and it kind of works, right? And here, this is teaching them, like who cares if they can climb a ladder in general, but what they've learned is like, I can put my feet deliberately places independently so that I feel secure and can get to the next place. And I think agility things could do that for you, right? Which is kind of a cool thing for the dog learning about their capacities. I think that's neat. Totally. Uh, it's so good. It's great. I love it. <laughs> I love, I love the dog show and I agree. Agility is, is just the most fun thing in the world. Um, well, Alexandra, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but before we let you go, keeping on a sports note, uh, you you like sports? <laughs> You're a Philly girl, right? I'm from Philadelphia. It's true. But I've long since stopped following the Philly team. So no, I'm useless. I'm a useless sports person. That's okay. I do some sports, but I don't follow sports. How did we never talk That's about that we were both from yes. the Philly area? I don't know. We, it just, we were just naturally drawn to it. It was just implied. Yes. It's, a, it's an <laughs> attitude. Well, I'm more from Chester County, so you can consider me more like the suburbs of, of Philly, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have an opinion about that, but I'll keep quiet. <laughs> well, it's true because it's very complicated. It's like, do you consider people who are off the septa, right. like, like from Philly? Like, do I consider right. someone who's off the Metro North from New York? complicated mm -hmm. yes no it is it gets very local and provincial yes <laughs> and we have a lot of opinions <laughs> oh trust trust me i'm a giants fan i know all about you philadelphia opinions out here okay i i know they're there we mike mike and i just it's you don't want to be on our group chat on a sunday let's just put it that way um not this sunday specifically no definitely not <laughs> definitely not um well, I, I did have to ask, but, um, but, but dogs are, I mean, I feel like what you do and in just observing dogs and the way they play is, and is, is sport. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. I do get to watch dogs do their sports. Yeah. Right. But I like all teams. <laughs> I'm like indiscriminate. I love that. I love that. It's like, like when you're like the, the commissioner and you have to like not show favoritism or something. That's right. I'm the commissioner of dog play. That's a, that's what I like to say. This is, yeah. that's that you just titled this episode of the podcast. There you go. <laughs> Mike, you have anything else for Alexandra before I let her go? Oh, you're my favorite. <laughs> oh, this has been so you. fun. This has been so fun. <laughs> What's better than just, you know, riffing off dogs for, for an hour. Seriously. I've been sitting here watching because I I'm haven't been able to give I everyone out there your little your little tip of the day is your dog has to get some sort of roaming time outside either it's a 50 foot leash or off leash if they're trained if you don't know then put them on a leash um and I haven't been able to do that because it's been so rainy and so I felt bad and so I've been giving him more access to the um the apartment which is a risk but given enrichment i'll take it um and he i just watched him like put himself in his crate um and now i'm like Aww. emotional about it you what a good parent you are right he's sweet little best. man he's the best it's like watching your little child go off to preschool and hold the you know another child's hand 
Yay! Go, little one. If people don't listen to this episode and love their dog more after, then I'm uninterested. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then, then we don't want you listening anymore. You're done. No, you're canceled. <laughs> you're canceled. Bye. All the cat people are like feeling really stressed <laughs> out now. Listening. <laughs> like, oh no. <laughs> Give a little cat affirmation just to just to, just at the end. You we have... do. I also have a cat. And, and so... oh, there you go. <laughs> that was not. That was not really. <laughs> <laughs> the level of support that I was anticipating. <laughs> Alexander, you have a cat too. I saw it. So. Yes. There you go. Yes, she came and visited. She likes to be a part of the dog podcast. You all can't see, but she did take about 10 minutes to demand some love. <laughs> and in this podcast week, we concede. Yes, yeah. we're here for it. I gave her what she wants. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. They are, we are theirs to do. Yes. As, exactly. As desired. There, the ownership is more obvious from the beginning. But thank <laughs> you so much for your time. We really, really appreciate it. It was really fun to talk to you both. Thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. And uh, come back soon. Excellent. <laughs> See you so <laughs> soon. Bye. 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 <laughs>